All right. Well, we're going to start with uh, you working on a little project, really quick, just a quick one, okay? How do you guys remember the uh, order of the planets? Oh, no. Do you guys have an acronym? Yeah? <laughs> we, so you, we made it. We made it to Mars, and that's in the end. Just served us nine pizza. Okay. Do you guys have a way of remembering the order of operations in mathematics? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. It is your turn to come up with your very own acronym to remember the plagues. Okay. So with the person next to you, you get to come with, up with it. I'll give you a few minutes. Have fun with it. Ready, set, go. All right, let's hear some of them. What do we got? All right, Katie in the back. Wow. That is such a positive message for remembering the plagues. <laughs> I, yeah, that's great. Evan. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Big fella got fat little buddy home late during dinner. <laughs> Come on, big fella. That's awesome. Barefoot families gathered four lasagnas before hiking long distance downwards. Yes. That is brilliant. <laughs> okay. Not if you're to hike, you need a lot of lasagna. Yeah, exactly. Lasagna is hiking fuel. <laughs> Todd, you got one, right? No. No, no, okay. Okay. Dangerous what? Dangerous dragon. Dangerous dragon, nice. <laughs> Alright, well done. Now I'm sure that forever you will remember the plagues. All of them. Okay. Well, if you guys were here last time, um, you saw that we created this like worksheet, okay? And we got our answers still up here. So we have the passages were on the worksheet, and we have the different plagues here. Um, and then we have, uh, was there a warning to Pharaoh? Okay, and we saw that there was yes, there was, and a no, yes, yes, no, yes, yes, no, yes. Okay, so in the no's, it's where Pharaoh, uh, Moses just kind of goes and does a symbolic act that uh, brings about the plague. Okay, so one is he like kicks up dust and it becomes the gnats, and then he takes... Uh, ashes out of the furnace and throws it in the air and it becomes, and then it kind of spreads over the land and it becomes boils. Um, and then darkness, I can't remember what he does, but he does something and darkness happens, okay? And then we said, what happened to the Egyptian court? Well, for the first two, remember, the uh, magicians, they replicated it. They made blood too. They made frogs too. Gnats, they couldn't do anything. We didn't hear about them. But boils, it said they can't even but stand before Moses. Uh, then it said some began to fear the word of the Lord after hail. Um, and then with locusts, they urged Pharaoh to let them go, let the people go. Finally, Pharaoh lets them go after ten. And then this idea is Israel set apart, okay? It doesn't really say anything here, but with flies, it's the first time where God says, you know, there's going to be flies over the whole land except in the land of Goshen. This is really important when we talk about this. Goshen is where the Israelites live, so no flies here. Same thing on all of these, doesn't say anything, and same thing with these, okay? And it's kind of debated whether or not Israel actually had to experience these plagues where nothing is set, all right? Um, and so, I don't know. Some say 
yes, you know, this is, you know, when God brings judgment, sometimes his people suffer alongside those who are being judged. Or the, some say, obviously, they didn't because they weren't included here. Um, it doesn't really say. And then we talk about Pharaoh's heart in each instance. What does it say? It says it was hardened, it remained hardened, Pharaoh hardened his heart, it was hardened, Pharaoh hardened it, it was hardened, God hardened it, it was hardened, God hardened it, God hardened it, God hardened it, okay? So we're going to save this whole column for next time, okay? So next week we're going to talk about hardening Pharaoh's heart because it's a really big question and it comes with a lot of uh, follow-up questions about predestination and determinism and God and what kind of a God do we serve that he would do something like this? So we're going to save that all for next week. And this week, our big thing that we want to answer is this. Why did God carry out the 10 plagues on Egypt? So we're looking for a purpose. What is the purpose that God had in doing this? And we get lots of different hints throughout Exodus. But before we get to what the correct answer is, um, I want to dispel one myth, Okay. And so if you go to, uh, I don't know, any college, you might go to a Christian college, you might go to a secular college, you might come across this idea that the myth is that, or that the idea is that God really didn't carry out plagues on Egypt. In fact, this is just natural disasters all happening in a certain order. Um, And it was just kind of a really bad year for Egypt. Um, But all of these can be explained naturally. And so the the argument would be that there are times when there's this red soil along the the Nile um, that when it floods over, um, it picks up the red soil and it kind of turns the the Nile red. Or there's kind of these bacteria or enzymes that, that, you know, are in the water that can kind of create a hostile environment for fish. Um, And so it looks like blood and then the fish all die, which is what Exodus says. And because it's so hostile... Who else lives in rivers? Frogs. Frogs live in rivers, right? So all the frogs got out of the rivers, okay? And so all the frogs hopped up into the palaces and the people's homes, but frogs live best near water. So eventually what happens to the frogs? They all die, okay? And what happens when you have a bunch of dead frogs? Well, you get some gnats and you get some flies, right? You know, you get bugs eaten on the dead frogs. And with gnats and flies comes disease, okay? So you get... Livestock are dying. You get boils on people's skin. Um, Hail, I mean, the way I put it is hail happens. Um, You know, hail just happens sometimes, and it was a really bad hail storm. Locusts happen. Sometimes you get locusts. They come in. You get to darkness, and you start thinking, um, that one's a little harder. But there are these things in Egypt called dust storms, horrible dust storms. They can blot out the sun. You can't see anything. So darkness, that was just a really bad dust dust storm. And then obviously death, that's just a myth because, you know, you can't really have each of the oldest kids in the family die at the same night. That's kind of a myth. So that's kind of what you might come across in the explanation of where these came from, okay? And there's a clear reason in Exodus as to why that's not a good explanation. And and it comes down to two things. I should back up a second. We're taking Exodus chapter 7 through 11 all in one chunk. We're just looking at all the plagues, okay? So there's a lot of information that I'm going to share with you. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you grab one now? If you really want to have your Bible open, we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages um, throughout these. And so, yeah, go ahead and grab them. Yes? Um, if Pharaoh was firstborn, how come he didn't die in You know, I was thinking about that in my office this morning, and I, I don't know. 
I don't know if he was the firstborn. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe, maybe Moses was considered the firstborn in that family to that princess. I don't know. And he was under the, uh, in a house with blood on the door, so he wasn't killed. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. Or, yeah, there's a whole other storyline that we can explore. So two reasons why this myth is not that believable. And, and my hope is that in answering these questions, guys, that you'll just come away with like an awe an awe at how God performs these plagues. Because it really is just incredible. And the first thing is timing. So I sat down and I read these plagues over and over and over uh, in my office. And this is one thing that really stood out to me as I was reading. Listen to these, just listen to these verses. Listen to how God talks about the plagues. It says, uh, first of all, every third plague begins in the morning. So, I mean, just think about gnats and uh, and. and boils and darkness like there's a timing of it like Moses comes in the morning and says there's going to be a plague and then it comes okay so there's kind of a timing to that with the frogs Moses says to Pharaoh choose the day when you want the frogs to go away and Pharaoh says tomorrow which I find curious because wouldn't he just want them to go away right away he says tomorrow make the frogs go away and it said that about that time the next day the frogs all died Frogs don't all die at the exact same time, okay? Um, With the flies, uh, Moses, before the plague happens, Moses says to him, tomorrow your land is going to be filled with flies. And the next day they were filled with flies. Uh, With the livestock, Moses says, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Um, With the hail, this one's even better, behold, at this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall. So not only does he name the day, he names the hour Okay, so it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe, and he says, you know, right around this time tomorrow, hail's going to come. And then with the last plague, God says, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. That blows the idea out of the water that these are just natural phenomenons happening. Okay, things don't happen at midnight and at tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. All right, this is God behind it. And the second thing that shows that God is behind it is distinction between the land of Goshen and the land of Egypt. This Israel is set apart, okay? So flies. You've seen flies fly before, you know? Are they the brightest creatures? No, okay? They they aren't. They fly in circles and into windows over and over and over and over until they die, right? And somehow, the flies all stay out of the land of Goshen. Not only do flies stay out of there, but the plague of the livestock dying, of sickness stays out. Hail falls in one land and stops falling in another one. And then how about light and darkness? Dust storms don't typically stop at boundaries between lands. And yet, in this case, God causes it to stop in one land and start in another land, okay? So these are just simple reasons why we would say that that is a myth. That's not a very good explanation. So we're left with the question still, Why did God carry out the ten plagues on Egypt? And here's the simple answer. The short answer is that Pharaoh asked God in Exodus chapter 5, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? He actually said it to Moses, not to God. So Moses and Aaron, they show up and they say, let our people go. And here's what Pharaoh has to say. Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let the people go? And I want you to see that everything that happens after this is God answering that question. You want to know who I am? 
I'm going to send ten plagues to show you who I am. So our question this morning is this. Who is the Lord? Who does God show himself to be throughout these ten plagues? And there's four or five key statements throughout the plagues that show us who God is. And the first one I want you to look at is Exodus chapter 7. So everyone turn to Exodus chapter 7, verse 5. Who has it? Noel, you want to read it for us? Okay. So I want you to pick up on this phrase, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Anytime God says, this you shall know, it means God is revealing himself to us. He's teaching us who he is. And so he says in Exodus chapter 7, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I do two things. What are they? Stretch out my hand against Egypt. What does that mean? It means judgment. It means plagues. And bring the people out uh, of Israel, or bring out the people of Israel from among them. And what does that mean? That means salvation. And so God wants us to know that he is the judge and he is the savior. He is the judge and he is the savior. Well, what does he have to judge Egypt for? What have they done? Well, haven't they imprisoned his people for 400 years as slaves and made them work tirelessly? And one of the vivid images of God judging Egypt is in the plague of the boils. Because it says that he tells Moses to go to the furnace and to take the the soot, the ashes, out of the furnace. Now what were those furnaces probably used for? Making bricks. So here, the source of slavery that his people have had to go and make bricks and be slaves for Egypt... He says, go to that source of slavery, take some of those ashes out, and throw them up into the air, and they will become boils on the people's skin. So God takes the very slavery, the the image of slavery that was upon his people, and turns it on its head and uses it as judgment upon Egypt. And we read in 11 verse 9 this, The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. In other words, the reason that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, first and foremost, is so that he can keep showing with plague after plague after plague who he is. Okay, so God's in the business of showing who he is, and the first thing he shows us is that he is the judge, but he's also the savior. He judges his enemies, and he saves his people. Okay, the next thing is in Exodus chapter 8. Everybody turn to Exodus 8, verse 10 and 11. All right, Joseph, you got that? Exodus 8, 10 and 11. So we have another big purpose statement, right? 
He says he's going to take away the frogs tomorrow. Why? What? Go ahead. Yeah, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. There's no one like the Lord our God. Look at verse chap- chapter 9, verse 14, okay? Turn the page if you need to turn the page. Chapter 9, verse 14. Here's what it says there. For this time I will send, this is about hail, this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that, anytime you see so that, we've got another purpose, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Okay? So in both of these, there is no one like the Lord our God, and there is none like me in all the earth. What we see about God through the plagues is that he is the one true God. Okay, that's what he's showing us by these plagues. There is no one like him. And he gives us this awesome, vivid image of this right at the beginning. The first time that Pharaoh and Aaron and Moses have a showdown is when they show up in his court and they show him the signs that God has given them to show him. And what are the signs? What's the first sign that he says that they should do? Um, the Your staff is going to turn into a snake, right? And, and we get so caught up in the fact that the magicians, what happens to their staffs? They turn into snakes too. We're like, wow, how'd they do that? Black magic, Satan, what happened? But we missed the point. What happens next? Yeah, so it's actually Aaron's staff eats the other snakes. There is one true God, and he's eaten up the other gods, right? So here we have this vivid picture that God is the one true God, and it doesn't stop there. In fact, some people have looked at, at the Egyptian gods and said that all these plagues can be understood as God's attack on the Egyptian gods and taken them down one by one. So let's look at that really quick. The Nile was oftentimes associated with the god Hapi, okay? And it's the god of fertility. And and the reason fertility and Nile go together is fertility means like giving life. And the Nile is what gave life to all of Egypt. It's the water that fed their crops and their animals and the people. And so it was the fertility god. So what happens? God turns the Nile to blood. He just turned your god into blood. And it's so bad that, can anyone drink it? No, it's no longer fertile. It's not helping anybody, right? In fact, everything that's in it is dying. So God just dealt a death blow to Hapi, okay? We get to the frogs. There's an Egyptian god um, called Heket, uh, which is another fertility goddess who has the head of a frog. But who's in charge of the frogs? God is. God tells the frogs what to do. He brings them up on the land, and then he has them all drop dead. The Egyptian god can't do anything to stop this. And then we've got multiple gods who look like bulls or have the head of a cow, um, and it has to do with livestock. And what happens to the livestock? They're all plagued. They all die. Okay, and then we've got the god who um, was expected to be able to heal diseases, and yet all the Egyptians have boils all over them. We have a sky goddess in Egypt, and, and is he able to stop the hail? Nope. God's still in charge of the sky, okay? So God's in charge of the water, he's in charge of the land, he's in charge of the sky. Um, He can't, the sky goddess can't stop the wind that brings the locusts. And then we've got Ra, the sun god, okay? And the sun god um, is supposed to be able to sail through the sky um, 
and command the light and the darkness, and yet can he stop the darkness for three days? Nope. So God has a stamp over Ra. And not only that, but Ra's symbol was a snake. So they believed that Ra came to earth as a snake. And so back when the Egyptians' staffs would have been eaten by God's staff, or Aaron's staff, another sign, God's just beaten up on all the Egyptian gods. And if you think, gee, this sounds kind of far-fetched, well, it says in the Bible, in Numbers chapter 33, on their gods also the Lord executed judgment. So it's very clear that in Scripture that God was not just executing judgment on Pharaoh, but he's judging all of the Egyptian gods. And we might want to ask, did it work? Well, look at the Egyptian court. The Egyptian court goes from copying God's commands or God's plagues, not being able to do it. They can't even stand before God's messengers and they start to fear the word of God and they start to say to Pharaoh, can't you see, here's what they say, they say can't you see that Egypt has been destroyed? Okay, this is the finger of God, they say. Let them go. So the Egyptian court comes to realize that God is the one true God. And so God has shown himself to be the one true God. Well, what else does he do? He shows us that he's the God who's present. Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. Okay, who's got that? Verse 22 and 23. 8, yeah. Kay, do you want to read that? 8, 22 and 23. Okay, so the key phrase there, so that you will know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And this could also be translated, so that you will know that I am the Lord who is in the land. I'm the Lord who's here. You might say, where are your gods? I thought you said you had all these powerful gods. Where are they? They're not showing up to do anything. And yet I am the Lord who is here. It reminds me of Moses, how back when he asks the Lord, as the Lord is telling him what he has to do, he asks the Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says to him, but I will be with you. Here's your answer. It doesn't matter who you are, I'll be with you. And here God is affirming once again, I am with you. God really is with his people. It's not just like a good, happy devotional or a, or a meme that we read on the internet. It's the truth. It's evidenced by the fact that there's this line between Goshen and Egypt where there's plagues on one side and no plague on the other side. So God is making it very clear that he is the God who is present with his people. And then one more, let's read Exodus chapter 9, verse 14. Uh, 14 to 16, actually. I guess we already read that, so we'll just get to verse 16 here. Um, so it says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up, talking to Pharaoh. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Okay, so God is not only God who is present, he is the God of unmatched power. Unmatched power. Notice he says this to Pharaoh before the seventh plague even happens. If, if we read a little bit earlier, it says in verse 15, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. God could have destroyed Egypt by this point. Not a single man, woman, or child left. But he doesn't. He says, but for this purpose I have raised you up, 
to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God's purpose is not just to beat up Egypt. It's not like this is some big tactical thing where it's like a chess match and, and, and God's trying to figure out just the way to make Pharaoh let his people go. God's saying, no way. I could have solved this on day one. I could have wiped you off the face of the earth on day one. The reason there's 10 plagues is because I want to show you with plague after plague after plague my power. He is the God of unmatched power. And how does he do it? Well, he does it by showing that he is the God who is able to create chaos and end it. So creation in Genesis chapter 1 is often understood as God bringing order out of chaos, okay? And yet in the Exodus, what is God doing? God is reversing the process. He's bringing chaos out of order. Animals, which were made to be subject to humans, underneath humans, are revolting. They're coming up out of the rivers like an army, going against their natural inclinations, okay? Um, They're attacking humanity. There's darkness instead of light. Light was brought to bring order into the chaos. Um, There's disease running rampant all over the people. Hail, locusts, all those things. And yet, God is able to predict tomorrow it's going to end. And listen to a couple of these. With the flies, here's what it says in Exodus 8. From flies, it said they were covering the ground so that you couldn't walk without stepping on them. Two, not one remained. That should give us a little bit of sense of awe here. With the locusts, the locusts are described as the worst plague of locusts ever in the history of the world. It says there was never a plague like this before and there never will be one like this afterwards. That's how many locusts were covering the ground. And yet, when God says the plague is done, It says, not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. All right, and so then in Exodus 9, 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, this is with darkness, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, and this is with the hail, the, sorry, not the darkness, the hail, the thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the Lord is, or the earth is the Lord's. So God is able to powerfully bring about plagues and powerfully stop the plague the moment he wants to. So this is a God of unmatched power. So this is is what we get from the Exodus. God's purpose is to answer Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And he answers it powerfully by saying, I'm the judge of Egypt and I'm the savior of Israel. I'm the one true God. I am the God who is present. And I am the God of unmatched power. Well, Pharaoh's question is also a question that we hear as we walk around our hallways, as we sit in our uh, dining halls, as we um, listen to the news and, and read what's going on there. It's the question of who is the Lord? And we might say, who is Jesus as well, that I should obey him? And it's a question that I've heard some of you guys ask yourselves. You, you wonder... How do I really know that this way that I've been brought up in by my parents is really the right way? How do I know that this God is the God that's worth following? Because, you know, when you're in your schools and you listen to the news, it sure doesn't sound like it's the only way. 
In fact, to even say and suggest that it's the only way sounds really bigoted and, and, and prejudiced and, and unkind. So how do we know that God, His way, really is the only way? Well, there's a, another role that the Exodus was supposed to play. It wasn't just for Egypt. The Exodus was also for the people of Israel. Turn to Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Ten verses one and two it says the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Why? That I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them. Why? that you may know that I am the Lord. God had another purpose in the Exodus and the plagues. It was always so that his people would know who he was. He didn't just want Egypt to know that he was the Lord and he could beat up their gods. He wanted his people to know that he was the Lord and he could beat up everyone else's gods. And we need to know that too. The Exodus was the greatest moment in the history of Israel. It was the defining moment. If you guys read the rest of the Bible, you know, this huge chunk of Bible here, what you're going to find is in the Psalms, in the prophets, in, in the history of Israel, they refer constantly back to the Exodus, reminding themselves who they are and who God is. And we're supposed to do that same thing. And so I have to ask, do we believe that this really happened? Do we really believe that these plagues happened? Well, they were a really long time ago, weren't they? And they're just written down in this book. Do we believe that they really happened? Well, your answer to that question is going to help you to determine whether or not you're able to believe that God is the one true God. Because if this really happened and God really could execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt, well, couldn't he execute judgment on all the gods of our days, our day? But more than that, God has given us an even greater sign than the Exodus. He's given us the cross, and the cross is supposed to play the exact same role that the Exodus played in Egyptian history as the the cross is supposed to play in our history. It is the ultimate sign that God is the judge and the Savior. Did you know that the cross is actually supposed to remind us of Exodus? There's one clear plague that took place in Egypt and also on the cross. Anyone see which one it is? Darkness, right? And in Egypt, it says that there was darkness for three days. And do you know how long, Jesus, there was darkness when he was on the cross? For three hours. Not a coincidence. Jesus is undergoing the plague of God. God is pouring out his judgment upon Jesus on the cross. So it is the ultimate sign of God's judgment, but it is also the ultimate sign of of salvation, because anyone who takes refuge in Jesus Christ is like the people of Israel in Goshen, where there is light. There's only light in one land. And if you find that you are the people in Christ, you experience that light. So he is the God of judgment and the God of salvation. It's also proof that our God is the one true God. I thought of this as I was sitting there. You guys know that story of uh, Solomon and his wisdom 
and how there's two mothers with two babies and, and one of the babies dies in the bed and the two mothers come and they bring the one baby and, and they're trying to determine whose baby it is. And, and what does Solomon say? He says, cut the baby in half. And the one true mother says what? No, let it live. The other woman can have it. And he said, she's the true mother because she wanted the baby to live. Well, we could say the same thing about God. What other God has been willing to sacrifice himself in order to show his love for his people, in order to save his people. Just like the mother who is willing to sacrifice having her child and her families for the life of the child, so there is no other God in all of human history who has been said to have died for us, to come and die for his people. And we see it on the cross, that Jesus is that one true God cross also shows us that he is the God who is present. Not just the cross, but what other God has left heaven to become a man? To come down and actually live in human form and to be a human and to struggle with what we struggle with. To be tempted in every way but not sin. So Jesus is the God who is present with us. And, and not only is he present with us then, he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us so that we can experience God's presence in a way that those who were before Christ never experienced it. And not only that, but he is the God of unmatched power. Not only able to defeat Egypt and Pharaoh, but to defeat sin and to defeat death, both of which took place on the cross. Well, in the plague of hail, we read this. God graciously, and it's really interesting, in all these plagues, there's this one moment of mercy from God. And here's what God says in mercy. Behold, About this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Well, that same word of mercy has been given to each one of us. God says, judgment is coming. Death is coming. But if you will fear me and come to me, I will save you. So we see from Exodus throughout these plagues, we see the character of a God who is judge and savior, who is the true God, who is present, who has unmatched power. And it's the same God that shows up on the cross. And it's the same God that we worship today. So I I just want to encourage you guys to see that and to examine your hearts. Have you received, you know, have you done what the servants of Pharaoh did who hurried their slaves and their livestock back into the houses? Have you heeded God's warning, a very real warning that death and destruction and judgment is coming? Or have you not? Let me encourage you to repent and be saved from your sins. Once again, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that while this is an ancient book with an ancient word, it shows us that you, an ancient God, are the same God of the cross of Christ, and you are the same God who is over us today. I thank you that the continuity of who you are is so clear throughout Scripture, and that your invitation to fear you and be saved is clear as well. Just pray once again for this group of young men and young women as they wrestle with the uh, 
various opinions in the world around them of what is true and what is not true and who is worth following and who is uh, not worth following, that they would find that you are the one true God who is able to save them, who has power over every God and who is with them to save them, and that they would fear you and put their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.